Yes, yes, yes. While you're standing, turn and tell somebody, say, I'm so glad to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Tell somebody that right now. Amen, 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 amen. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you're blessed, say amen. So glad to be here with each and every one of you today. If you're tuning in or logging in on, uh, let me see, I've got two or three of these. What's my code for this? Yeah. You ever forget yours? You try to log it in about five times and it makes you wait about 20 minutes or however long it is. It feels like it's forever. <laughs> All right. We, um, just want to say happy Holy Week to you as we begin uh, this season here at Victory and around the world. Uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem marks the beginning of the last week of his life before the cross and then the resurrection on the third day following. And uh, it's, a, it's a very powerful time, it's a very somber time. And I want to preach a little bit of hope this morning. I want to preach Jesus. I want to preach some hope. I want to inject some hope into your heart just for the next few moments. The title of the message this morning, we're going to do a two-week mini-series. It's called Seven Days. Everybody say seven days. How many of you know a lot can happen in seven days? And the title of the message particularly is, It's Not Over Till It's Over. You know, I, I, I would use that, that famous adage, but I don't want to offend anyone who might be a pound or two overweight. It's not over till the fat lady sings. Uh, maybe I could say the fat man and make it more personal, okay? It's not over till it's over. Say that with me. I believe that with all my heart. My text this morning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Looking at four verses quickly, chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. The next day... The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors, everybody say Passover. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, this is out of Zechariah chapter 9, in the Old Testament, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Riding on a donkey's colt. The one thing that I'm using today, which is the, basically the bottom line, the summary of the message, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this, is this. Say it with me. A lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. Look at your neighbor and say, a lot can happen in seven days. It's not over Till it's over. Look up here at me and say it stronger. A lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. That's about 80%. Come on, give it to me. A lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. Now you were present. That's it right there. Think about that. This message that we begin today in two parts, now and next Sunday, we'll finish it next Sunday, is the beginning of 
the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Before I get too far into that thought, I want us to pause and pray. Great and mighty God, I thank you today for your presence in this place. Thank you for your love and your grace that you poured out upon us. Thank you for the mercy that is found in the face of Jesus Christ, that as we look into that face this morning and worship, Lord, that we can see your love and your mercy and your grace poured out for us. Thank you for Christ who was lifted up between heaven and earth. Thank you that as we celebrate this week, his entry, his coronation as a coming king, his crucifixion, the, the thing that shocked so many folks and that surprised the disciples. And Lord, the, the, the time between Friday and Sunday this week as we experience Holy Week with our families and as we look into the Gospel of John this week, I ask you, Lord, to let hope emerge and like resurrection in our hearts as we look forward to celebrating the fact that he is risen next Sunday. We ask you for this in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Holy Week is the seven days that changed everything. It literally is the hinge point of history. What happened on Good Friday and what happened on Resurrection Sunday are like two bookends in Christian theology. It is the critical moment in time when God revealed the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Revelation 13.8. He came walking up the dusty road and his cousin saw him, John the Baptist, and he said, allow this to be so, to fulfill all righteousness' sake. John said, I should be baptized by you. Jesus said, no, let this be so to fulfill righteousness. And so he took Jesus down into the water and baptized him, and there was a, there was a voice from heaven. Some thought it thundered, but the scripture says that, that the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so we look at the opening of this triumphal entry, and I just want to say to you that how incredibly unusual this is, because no conqueror rides a donkey. Jesus, the King of kings, the ruler of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the word made flesh, the one who spoke and everything came into existence, the one who was with the, the Father, begotten of God. God of very God, light of very light, the Nicene Creed says. A king that's expected would ride in on a stallion, a conquering steed. But no, Jesus is everything that is upside down. His kingdom is not as one would expect. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about that in just a moment in terms of the power of expectations and how that we should handle them with care. He comes as a lowly king riding into Jerusalem to die for his enemies. That's a living message for the current times. I, 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 I recognize that it's so easy to fall into the spirit of the age, the, the, the current zeitgeist, the spirit of the age in which everything is motivated by, and that is a, a, a spirit of division where you draw the line in the sand and, and throw rocks at everybody who's on the other side of your opinion. And, and Jesus came in this week, in this holy week, he, he enters into Jerusalem and they're waving palm branches and they're throwing his, their coats into the path where he would ride by. 
and, 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 and they, they have seen the miracles, they've witnessed the signs and the wonders and the, the declaration of the words of God that baffled the religious leaders of his day. And yet Jesus is not coming in to conquer with a sword. He's riding in a lowly pack mule, basically a donkey, not a mule, but a donkey. He's riding in a beast of burden because he's carrying the burden of the sins of the world on his back, on his shoulders. He's going to be offered as the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. This idea of not just dying for his people, but dying for his enemies. Listen to me, some of you in, the, in this room this morning. That means Jesus died for Democrats and Republicans. It means he died for red and yellow, black and white. It means he died for the person you don't like. It means he died for the individual that you may be in conflict or a confrontation with currently right now. And Jesus taught us these are these amazing, greatly forgotten words in red in our Bibles. You know, in the Old Testament, it's all about praying fire down. It's about praying judgment of God on your enemies. But Jesus turns that thing on its head and he says, I tell you to not just love those who love you. Anybody can do that. He says, I, he says, I tell you to love your enemies and pray for them that despitefully use you. That doesn't go down. It's hard to swallow that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? What a living message for the current times. I just want to back up from the very beginning and just tell you this morning that I personally have been ashamed at how the leadership of the Evangelical Church acted during the last four years of our previous administration. How they defended things and just drank the Kool-Aid and could see absolutely no wrong. And I don't believe in having a critical spirit, but I don't believe, also I don't believe anybody is above accountability and critique. Come on, somebody, help me this morning. And just, just so I don't unsettle anybody and make you worry, I voted for the, for the president that I'm talking about. I, I, and I just want to say that there, was, there was such a spirit of division that got worse and worse and worse and worse in this nation of just name-calling and, and, and tweeting out responses and not acting like a leader and acting like a seventh-grade boy. And it, it, it continued to just build this animosity and this hatred toward anybody that didn't agree with my tribe. And Jesus didn't just come to die for one tribe. He came to die for the tribes of the earth. How Christian leaders behave over the last four years just literally shocked me. I mean, if anything, it would be equated to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, constantly questioning and challenging. And let me remind you, I say this so very often, it was never the sinners that caused Jesus trouble. The sinners didn't crucify Jesus. They weren't the ones that were hollering crucify. It was the religious folks of his day that pastored the big synagogues, so to speak. Are you hearing what I'm talking about today? And I would just, I want to ask you a question as we begin this this morning because this whole week is about living an upside down kingdom, about sharing love to the unlovely. It's about remembering that Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And he first loved me, therefore I love him. And because of that, I must love others that are currently unlovely. Somebody say amen. I want to ask you a question. Just don't answer, please. Just, everybody just think. Don't say anything out loud. Are we Christian Americans or are we American Christians? There is a vast universe of difference between those two phrases. 
am I a Christian American or am I an American Christian? Now, you have every right to disagree with me this morning. I want to tell you, I believe that words are powerful. And I believe the problem is, is that somewhere along the line in the last few years, the church has forgotten and thought she was a Christian American. And the real truth is, is that I am an American Christian. What does that mean? Let me Do, do I have to give you a grammar lesson to show you the, the most important word in this sentence? American is the adjective that modifies and defines what the big noun is. I am a Christian first. I am a kingdom of God man. That means that at the end of the day, who I vote for and how I treat people has everything to do with what Jesus said in red letters in my Bible. It means I don't tow a party line just because that's what everybody tells me I ought to do or what somebody thinks I ought to do to be a patriot. How many of you know sometimes being a Christian first means you're not a good patriot all the time? I am an American Christian. That means I'm a Christian first and I happen to be American. I may move somewhere else. I will always be an American. But whether I live in America or not, if I'm a Swedish Christian because I live in Sweden or I'm I'm an African Christian, not by skin or by race, but because I'm living in Africa somewhere, I want you to know that Christian never changes, but my nationality to which I am am called to to have fealty to, that may change. Are you hearing me this morning? I know y'all are thinking. And the difference between those two is huge. And I'm not just, I'm not just nitpicking today. But I want, I want you to hear this. We are Christians before we are Americans. We are Christians before we are conservative or before we are liberal. Come on, somebody. Help me a little bit today. The king and his kingdom is emerging and the issue that is at hand here is as that he comes into the city. He doesn't come in conquering and riding a steed that, with a sword in his hand ready to cut the heads of his enemies off. He comes in let it, ready to lay down his life and die for those who hate him. Our expectations are powerful. We need to be careful with them and how we handle them. I want to tell you from personal experience that expectations can be my greatest issue of offense when I expect things from people. And people are just people. There's not a perfect people in this room except for Jesus, the one we've come to recognize and to lift up our hearts and worship and praise to. Every individual, every human person listening to this broadcast, every individual sitting in this room, we are fallible. We are broken. There's a mixture. No matter how, mo- how much we want to be fully and totally like Jesus, that won't happen until I finally see him face to face. Then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Somebody say amen. But until then, I'm in the process of sanctification and of growing, and, 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 and God expects holiness. And I have to change my thinking about things, and I have to change my mind, I have to change my attitudes, because my expectations of people sometimes can set me up to get offended at them. And then I have to forgive. Look at your neighbor and say, forgive. Scripture says in the Lord's Prayer that we're taught to pray, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's the only request with a condition in the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's foolish to think that God would forgive us our sins and that He's not going to also expect us to forgive everybody else. It's like the, the, the parable of, uh, of the fellow who owed equivalent to today 
$20 million and then he's let go and the, the king releases him and forgives his debt and then he catches somebody who owes him 20 bucks and throws him in jail until he can pay him back. And the issue is you can't pay anybody back when you're in jail. You can't work it off. The king heard about it and grabbed him and threw him into prison. The point is, is that because we've been forgiven so great a debt, we need to forgive those people we don't like. Y'all not shouting enough this morning. We need to, we need to take on the ministry and the, 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 the recognition of the character of Jesus who loved everybody so much that he rode into town on a donkey ready to die for his enemies, for those who hated him. This is the preparation of the disciples. I don't know if you recognize this, but the Gospel of John is unique from the other four. Why are there four Gospels? They're, they're intentionally written to different groups of people. Matthew's written to the Jews with an extension of genealogy to prove to them that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king of the Jews. And not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Mark is written to the Romans. It's written like a movie script. And immediately this happened. And immediately, and you'll see that word immediately all over the Gospel of Mark. And it shows... The, the great servant bearer, the ox, Jesus, the servant bearer, Jesus, the sin bearer, Jesus, the servant of humanity. Luke, the physician, it shows the, the picture of Jesus' perfect humanity. But John is different. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic gospels, S-Y-N, sin, which means together. Everybody say together. And optic means to see. When you, when you go to an optician or an optometrist or an ophthalmologist, all of those OPT words are all dealing with your eyesight. So synoptic gospels see the same thing together. That's why when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will see, hear the same stories over and over and over again because they're relating to us the ministry of Jesus with a view that Matthew would prove to the Jews that he is the king, that, that Mark would prove to the Romans that Jesus is this son of man son of God, that Luke would prove basically to, to the Greeks and to all of those that are intelligent and from an academic standpoint that this is the perfect man made in the image of God. But John writes uniquely, he writes to the believer. All the same stories you hear over and over in the other three synoptic gospels that see together don't appear in the gospel of John. John chooses seven sign miracles, seven major stories and he develops progressively this idea of the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And these seven sign miracles of turning water into wine, of healing uh, the, the woman with the issue of blood, of raising Lazarus from the dead, all of these seven sign miracles are very significant in what the Spirit of God does in your life. And so as we come to John chapter 12, John has 21 chapters, and what folk don't realize is literally half the book is devoted to the very last week of Jesus' life. You get to 12, and he's riding the donkey into Jerusalem, as we just read this morning from our text. But then when you read 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, these are special intimate moments with Jesus in the upper room celebrating the Passover, which is the feast meal that God served to Israel when they were delivered out of Egypt. And the, the blood of the lamb appeared over their doorpost as they struck the lentils of the door, dipped in blood dipped in the blood of the lamb. And wherever the blood of the lamb was, the death angel passed over them. And so it's referred to as the Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that Christ is our Passover lamb, sacrificed for us. How many of you are thankful? Say amen. 
And so we recognize this morning that all of this preparation, Jesus is sitting in an upper room receiving the Passover, and every bit of those elements of that Seder meal have a symbolism. They're all pointing to Jesus, the one who's sitting there about to become the literal Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And he's whispering in their ear and declaring to them the importance of the one that's coming. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Greek says, in you. So that where I am, there you may be also. And so the recognition is, is that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, another comforter that cannot come until he goes away. And he says, it's expedient that I go away. And they're saying, oh no, Lord, you can't go anywhere. See, they just saw the response of the people as he rode into Jerusalem, and they're excited because they're going, okay, these folks finally have got it. They're shouting, hail to the king of Israel. And they're waving palm branches and throwing their coats down in the way as he travels by, and they're thinking, hey, man, we're about to do this thing. We're going to take over. He's going to be our political hero. He's going to rise up, and he's going to conquer this Roman Empire and Israel. We're going to make Israel great again. And all of these things are just reverberating in the minds of these people and especially in the disciples, and they don't get it. They they were disconnected from what really was happening. Jesus was telling them things that they would not understand until after his death and his burial and his resurrection. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17 where he truly prays the Lord's Prayer, and he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one so that the world may know. Glorify yourself in them as you have glorified yourself in me. This preparation is going on, and then immediately something takes place, something that they didn't expect. My second point this morning is that this king is mocked with a coronation like no king would ever have. In John chapter 19, four verses, look with me please. Then Pilate, he's been... Captured in the garden, I I, I skipped over some text. It was amazing. They come looking for Jesus, and when he says, I am he, when he says, I am, literally the whole crowd fell to the ground because he just pronounced the name of his father, I am. When Jesus says, I am he, they all fell to the ground, had to get back up, and he says, I am he. Why are you here with swords? You could have taken me any time in the city or in the temple. And they took him. You know, there were mock trials. 19.1 opens up and says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, a cat of nine tails. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. When they saw him, the leading priests, hear this, these are the religious people. These are the current, I mean, we could liken it today to the leaders of the evangelical church. When they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. This is amazing to me that this one who deserves a crown of inestimable value ended up with the crown of something that represents the curse, thorns. And as the, the, the crown of thorns touches his head for every place he was punctured in his head, I want you to know that the scripture says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. For every worrisome thought that you can't shake, Jesus took a puncture to his own head in his mind. For every fear, every doubt, every 
every thought, fleeting thought of unbelief that you would wrestle down and try to, and struggle to take cat captivity over. Jesus was crowned with a crown of thorns. Everything that was under the curse was pressed down into the flesh on his head. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. We finish that Isaiah passage and it says, by his stripes we are healed. Somebody say amen. I want to tell you though, it's looking bad. It started out great and things turned. A lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. And the point that I want to say to you this morning is it's not just about seven days. It is in the life of Jesus. But maybe, maybe the, 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 the scenario that you're walking through right now has already been in a, a period of three or four months. You know what? A lot can happen in four or five months. Don't quit because it's not over till it's over. And Jesus conquered everything that we battle against so that we could have hope and stand strong. Somebody say amen. A lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. Finally, point number three this morning as I bring this message to a close. John chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. The scripture says, Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Verse 17, carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him. Criminals on both sides. Jesus died the death of a criminal. He died when he literally is the king of the universe. He came and willingly laid down his life for us to be the Christus Victor, to be the Christ who comes and gets victory over sin and sickness and death and the grave and all of that, which we're going to preach like crazy next Sunday. I'm excited about that. But sometimes there's a period of time between when you start something and it has all of the hope and the excitement and the expectation of something that's coming. And usually something happens. You know, starting a business, having a family, raising children. It's not a linear line of progression. Success usually looks like a crazy road that's woven around all over, all over the place. And sometimes it's two steps forward and then it's three steps backward. Sometimes it's a back and forth. And what started out looking like an amazing parade of victory for this Jesus, the Messiah, this King of Israel, all of a sudden within a couple of days turns dramatically that they're mocking him and slapping him and spitting on him and beating him and crowning his head with thorns and slapping his face and, and, and taking his garments and putting a, a, a mock purple robe on him and calling him, Hail, King of the Jews. Scripture says they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on the other side, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verse 20, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Hear this this morning. As Jesus hung between two totally undeserving, sinful, criminal men. It's amazing that in that moment, one of them reached out to Jesus in faith and said, remember me. The other one mocked and made fun. The other one referred to the past. The other one referred to a future with hope. It's interesting because the ever-present one, the I am, the eternal I am, was hanging between the criminal of the past and the criminal of the future. 
And how many of you know your past and your future can criminalize you? They can rob from you. It can, you, you, you can regret your past, and that's a criminal that will rob from you and take every bit of joy you've got. Or you can worry about your future, and that criminal will steal every bit of faith and hope that you have for a brighter future. But I'm telling you, in the middle of all of that stuff, there hangs the Messiah, the eternal I am, the God who was and who is and who is to come, the God who is hanging there in the midst of them between heaven and earth, and he says, it is finished. He hung on the cross and he paid the penalty for your sins and mine and for the sins of the whole world. The scripture says in the, in the letter of John, the, the epistle, it says, he is the savior of the world, especially of those that believe. How many of you are thankful that he saved you this morning? Come on, put your hands together. Give him praise. But hear this today. The place he died, none of this is a coincidence. Over 300 prophecies appear in the Old Testament spoken by prophets and sages and saints of old. Every book of the Bible in the Old Testament either has a direct prophecy spoken of the one that is to come or it gives us a shadow or a type or a prophetic picture or a symbol in the very same way that when Abraham took his son Isaac to, the, to Mount Moriah to be, to be slain, to be sacrificed, it's a picture of the father who willingly gave his son. And then the angel stayed Abraham's hand and a ram was caught in the thicket, the thicket, the thorns. And there God provided himself the lamb. Well, that picture that happened in Genesis 22 actually became a fulfillment of that prophetic picture and it happened on this day. It happened on Good Friday, 2,000 years ago. This is amazing. Think about this. The place where Jesus was crucified. I've been to Jerusalem. I took a trip in Israel to Israel in 2008. And the Bible came alive for me in ways that I can't even begin to explain. Because what I've preached and what I've read and what I've studied my whole life all of a sudden took on a whole different perspective. And that place where Jesus was crucified literally looked like a head of a skull, two hollowed out places in the, the side of a cliff and what looked like a, the, the, the empty eye sockets of, uh, of, a de, of a decayed head. Jesus is crucified atop of that hill. Golgotha literally means in Hebrew the place of the skull. He was crucified in the place of the skull. Every one of you that fight the battles you fight, you fight them here during the week. It's in the place of the skull. Multitudes, multitudes, Joel says, are in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is in the valley of decision. Where is the valley of decision? That's this, this, this concave place right here that holds your brain. That's where you make your decisions. That's where the, the day of the Lord comes when you decide that today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day of my salvation. And you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The decisions that we make that are so critical, Jesus faced them. He faced the worries and the fears and the doubts and the temptation and the manipulation and the intimidation and all of the stuff that the enemy sends your way in mind in the place of the skull. A thief on the left talking about the past, a thief on the right talking about the future. But in the middle, the eternal I am hangs and he says, I am with you. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread from heaven. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. What do you need this morning? He is everything that you need. Put your hands together and come on and give him some praise. A lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. 
If I can say anything to you this morning, I want you to remember that. I don't know what you're going through. Everybody in the room has got a story. Everybody in the room either just came out of a struggle and headed into another one, or you might be slap, smack dab in the middle of one. You know, that's, that's this story right here. It starts out great, like every vision, like every prayer, every promise that we stand on from the Word of God, and we are trusting, and we're filled with faith. And then we begin to go through the period of testing, and life happens, and and it looks like we're literally crucified. It feels like we take on all of the thorns that Jesus had on the cross with worry and fear and doubt and unbelief, the accusing voice of the enemy. And I want you to know that it's in that moment when so many people quit. It's when you give up on your marriage. It's when you just basically said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have anything to do with that child anymore. You just forget about them. Or I'm going to drop this business or I'm just going to quit. I'm not even going to try anymore. In that moment, you need, to hear, you need to hear the voice of the Lord that it's not over till it's over. A lot can happen in, and it's not just about seven days. It may, be, it may be two years. It may be longer than that. It may be less than that. A lot can happen. A lot can happen in the next 20 minutes. Right now in this moment, you can make the decision in the valley of decision, in the place of the skull, in your heart, you can make the decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And it can literally change your life and send you on a new trajectory and a whole new destiny, and a whole new eternity. <laughs> Hallelujah. A lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. I'm thankful. Thankful that Jesus fulfilled all 300 plus of those prophecies. Never in the history of humankind has there been one individual that had so much specificity, the specifics of when he would be born, where he would be born, how he would be born, to a virgin. I mean, that's just, to the human mind, that's pure nonsense. Who would be ruling in the time? What would happen when he came on the scene? How he would be the servant of servants and he would serve the Spirit of God and, and deaf ears would open and blind eyes would see and the dead would be raised and all of those miracles happened in Jesus' ministry. You know something? So many times we can get caught up in the history of something and we can believe in Jesus and never believe Jesus. This morning, I'm not interested whether you believe in him because the world believes in Jesus. We know historically there was this Jesus of Nazareth. The point is not do you believe in him. The point is do you believe him? Do you believe when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's yours this morning. It's mine. If we, if we lean into Him, if we put our trust in Him, if we turn from our past and we turn to Him in faith, would you bow your head with me, please, and let's go before the Lord in prayer. As we take this moment together, I just want to ask you, the struggles that you're facing, the circumstances that you're in the middle of, a lot can happen in a short period of time. It's not over till it's over. Something dramatically can change in the direction you're going right now in your life if you take this step of faith with me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And further down he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you this morning are saved. You have been for years. But you know what? You need to let some of these words sink in. You need to forgive some enemies. You need to pray for them. Oh, I can't imagine that, Pastor. 
Yes, let's do what Jesus taught us how to do. Let's live like he lived. Let's love like he loved. This morning, if you've never crossed that line of faith, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you'd like me to pray for you today, would you slip your hand up, please? Anybody in the room? Yes, there's a hand right there. I see that one. Anybody else? Yes, another one over here on this side. That's two. Anyone else? Yes, in the back. Thank you. All right. Congregation, I would like if you would please let's pray together along with these. Those of you who lifted your hands, speak these words in faith because God hears your heart. Let's pray together right now. Say this with me. Father, thank you for this word. I thank you for Jesus who gave his life for me. I turn from my past. I turn to you in faith. And I say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me, O oh Lord, how to walk in mercy and love and forgiveness. I choose to forgive and love my enemies. In your name I pray. Everybody said amen. Everybody, if you would, look at your neighbor and say, a lot can happen in seven days. It's not over till it's over. Everybody be blessed in the name of